Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Yannick Sinner is a Masters 1000 champion. He wins his first north of the border, north of my border, in Toronto. Huge accomplishment, massive milestone for 21-year-old Yannick Sinner. One that his fans, and I'm sure Yannick himself, have been clamoring for all throughout 2023. Dare I say some impatience started to set in when it comes to when is Yannick Sinner going to win a big tournament, a Masters 1000, maybe the year-end championships, obviously a major at the pinnacle of all of that. When is that going to happen? But while that impatience did set in, I have rejected from start to finish the notion that it's taking Yannick Sinner an unusually long amount of time to to win one of these things. I've I've rejected that from the start. Uh, my breakdown has always been as follows. I don't think that he's was physically ready to do this until this year. I just don't think his body was strong enough to win big titles until this year. And this year in 2023, not only do I think he's filled out into his body enough, but I also think he's made some some improvements elsewhere in his game, which I'll get to soon, that have allowed him to become the caliber of player that generally wins tournaments like this. And then you look at his 2023, well, he's made a lot of deep runs, two semifinal losses, one loss in a final, if you look at the Masters 1000s, and now he's won one. So yes, it took a, it took a couple of whacks at the piñata. We can put it that way. But it didn't actually take all that long. And in my opinion, this was an appropriately timed accomplishment for Yannick Sinner. Certainly could have come earlier. Certainly could have come later. This was appropriate. But it was also well-timed for Yannick when it comes to the U.S. Open. And to me, if we're going to take Sinner seriously as a title contender to win in New York, I do think he needed to win one of these. 
And I said the same thing before Roland Garros. So that that's how you know that this isn't revisionist history. This isn't hindsight. I said I said before Roland Garros, the level is there where where he's an outside contender to win the title. But do I believe that he can just win Roland Garros? No, I think I need to see him at least win a Masters first. Mentally. Mentally, I think he needs to do that first before he'll be ready to do the other. Because some scar tissue had built up for Yannick Sinner. Quarterfinals are better at five majors. Seven masters. So coming into Toronto... 12 times he had been to the quarterfinals or further at big events, and he's been blocked. He's been defeated at those late stages, in those late stages. And when that happens to you over and over and over again, obviously some doubts start to creep in. And you have to find a way to get over the hump in order to flush those doubts away. This accomplishes that. I understand that he didn't beat an Alcaraz or a Djokovic or a Medvedev in order to do so. I don't really think it matters. I think now Yannick Sinner looks at himself in the mirror and in the midst of his breakout season, where he's up to a career-high six in the world, he is a Masters 1000 champion. He's gone all the way. He's lifted a big trophy. That's going to mean something at the end of the U.S. Open as far as his belief is concerned. But long-term, while I think that this was essential for his U.S. Open title hopes, long-term, I was never worried about Yannick Sinner because guys who continuously get better and better and better, they get rewarded. And I never worry about a player, I've said this about some others, I never worry about a player who just keeps getting better. Once they stop getting better, then you can start to worry. Yannick Sinner win percentage by the year, starting in 2019, 52%. After that, 64 and a half, 69, 73. This year, 79. That is steady, incremental improvement over the course of a five-year stretch. And... It's been fantastically rewarding to watch. Uh, It's not a given. It hasn't been simple. It hasn't been easy. He's been pretty meticulous about making improvements mentally, physically, and technically. A lot of those things have been been visual, and it's been a a pleasure to cover all these things. I want to talk about the big three of Sinner Improvements. My top three center improvements that allowed this title to happen. I'm going to do that. Then I'm going to obviously talk about the final against Demonor. Uh, but first, I want to talk about our partner, AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. And I recently started drinking it every day. Let me kind of break down how AG1 has worked for me. I'm someone who has gaps in their diet. I don't get everything I need nutritionally uh, because I'm a big foodie and I tend to focus on taste over nutrition in my meals. Sometimes I can neglect certain nutritional aspects and I just know how much healthier I can feel if I fill in those gaps. 
And that's what AG1 has allowed me to do. It's allowed me to continue those same eating habits and improve my nutrition anyways. All you do is take one of their metal scoops, you portion out AG1, or you use a travel pack, you put it in water, you mix it, that's it. It's very, very simple. I drink it in the morning while my coffee is brewing, and it always times out really well, where as soon as the coffee cools to perfect drinking temperature, I've finished my AG1. Gotta let your coffee cool, guys. Otherwise, you can't taste it. Anyway, this routine, drinking AG1 before my coffee, has me feeling energized and healthy in the morning. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase by going to drinkag1.com slash gill. That's drinkag1.com slash gill. Link will be in the description. Check it out. All right, top three center improvements. I mentioned it briefly, but first and number one for me is physical, which obviously happens quite naturally, but I know that he's he's really emphasized that aspect of it, especially in the lower body. Um, not only was he breaking down in tournaments and his his level was kind of dipping as he progressed, which is often what we'll see from players who are underdeveloped physically. And you look at last year, he went 2-8 and eight in quarterfinals, 0-3 oh in Masters 1000 quarterfinals. So first he's remedied that because this year he's 7-3 and three in quarterfinals, 4-0 and oh in Masters 1000 quarterfinals. How about that? Quarterfinals, which were a, a nightmare stage for him last year in terms of record, that was the spot where he really plummeted win rate-wise. That's become actually a a really successful round for him. But also there were injuries continuously creeping in. Two retirements and a walkover at big events last year. I could go deeper into it. You know, there were other moments, but but you just take that. Two retirements and a walkover. One of them was at Roland Garros last year. This year... Look, we're not looking at a clean bill of health. There have been some retirements. There has been a walkover, but small events. They haven't affected his season. At the big events, he has perfect attendance and perfect completion. So physically, we've seen those improvements. Let's talk about the serve. That's where visually some drastic measures have been taken because Yannick Sinner throughout his career, has been thoroughly unsatisfied by the effectiveness of his serve, as he shouldn't be. Because at his height, with his offensive play style, I think he expects from himself that he has a consistently deadly serve, and he hasn't been able to get there, and he hasn't been taking no for an answer. And he has tinkered and tinkered and tinkered and tinkered, and I just love to see that hasn't been easy for him. I don't know if if this is the moment where it's clicked. I think that I think there's a possibility that that is the case because I love what his motion looks like right now. It's my favorite ever iteration of Yannick Sinner's serve. I think it looks the most simple and the most powerful and the most repeatable. 
of all of Yannick Sinner's service motions. And a lot has been made of his feet positioning, going from a platform serve to a pinpoint serve. That's been quite obvious, but I don't think that's been the most significant change he's made. I think the most significant change that he's made has been his uh, racket position on the ball toss. So not, not his left arm, right? A toss is a toss. Everyone almost looks the same when they're tossing a ball. Uh, so, so that's not the difference, but it's the positioning of his racket arm at the moment Yannick Sinner releases the tennis ball for his ball toss. If you're watching on YouTube, you see on your left a screenshot from U.S. Open 2022. And you see that his, uh, man, his racket is literally behind his right calf. It's very, very, very far from where it ultimately needs to end up being in his trophy position. And what he's done was he's abbreviated that take back, so to speak. And now the screenshot on your right, which is Toronto 2023 this week, he's a lot closer to his final destination. He's a lot closer to where he needs to end up being for his trophy. He's cut down that distance. He's shortened the take back. Which to me is going to make for a serve that's easier to time. Timing is massive when it comes to serving. You're timing your biomechanics. Uh, your, your contact point needs to be consistent. Obviously, instead of the ball like on a regular shot where the ball is coming at you and you need to time it. You have control of the timing as long as you have a consistent ball toss. The timing should be the same and can be the same every single time. Uh, but the busier your mechanics are, and I try not to get too in, into the weeds with this stuff, and there are some people who could probably explain this Yannick Center change a little bit better than I can. I always qualify it with that. But to me, this is a... This is cutting down on motion and therefore creating a serve where it's easier to have repeatable and more precise timing over and over and over again. In terms of is, is the effectiveness of it, we got to wait until we get more stats. And then we'll really see how well this is working. But I love the look of it. I think he's hitting his serve bigger. 78% or better on first serves one all up until the final. If you look at just how consistently uh, he held his serve this week, he was excellent. Didn't get broken against Berrettini. Got broken twice in three sets against Monfils. Got broken three times in two sets against Tommy Paul. And got broken twice against Dimonor who uh, was breaking serve like a madman up until this final. So, pretty good. All right, so that was the second improvement serve. Third improvement variety, which I can't say, like I can't say there's tons of standout variety in Yannick Sinner's game right now. That's not the point. The point is that he can go to it at times. And in this final against Demonor, he was three for three. On drop shots. I don't think he hit more than three. Uh, I charted three. Maybe I missed one. But I have him as three for three. 
one of them on the backhand, which wasn't actually all that good, but he got away with it on a pretty big point, actually. And two really good ones on the forehand that he hit for clean winners. Great shot selection, great execution. But all of them were really important. One of them was at 4-5, that final game of the first set where he broke Demon or serve to take it 6-4. There was another one in the second set where he was serving to start the second set, and he was in a 15-30 hole, and he used the drop shot to get 30-all and ultimately held. And then the third one was at, uh, with Demon or serving at 1-2 in the second set at 15-all. Sinner wins that point, ends up breaking serve. You don't need to hit 10 drop shots over the course of two sets for the drop shot to help you out. Like To me, this 3 of 3 was meaningful. And it was great to see just that, you know, th those few points where he was effective with that shot. Uh, I know that he's continued, he's continued to work really, really hard on it. So... Volleys, slice backhand, that kind of goes into the, the variety bucket as well. I can't say that slice backhand or volleys were particularly significant in this match. I think the drop shots, just the three of three that I spoke about was the biggest thing. Uh, but he has worked hard to to improve all of all of the above when it comes to his variety. So those were my top three, physical serve and variety. Let's talk about this match, this 6-4-6-1 win over Demonor. In the first set, Demon executed a very focused and intricate tactical approach from the baseline. Effectively, he outdueled Sinner in the majority of the long rallies in the first set, and he did what he had to do, was which was coax unforced errors out of Sinner from the baseline. That was his path to victory, and he executed that really well in the first set. But Sinner's short point dominance because of his serve return dynamic and his power edge were enough for Yannick to, to just take the first set by a slim margin. In the second set, Demonor's consistency from the baseline kind of fell off. He started actually making some errors. And then it was just... Then it was good night. Because as soon as Demonor wasn't able to just grind Sinner down and make sure that each and every time, in every extended rally, Yannick was going to be first to miss. As soon as that wasn't happening, it was a comprehensive advantage in every aspect of tennis for Yannick Sinner. And that led to the 6-1. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But in the first set... And the second set, the constant, was that Demonor's serve was reduced to virtually nothing. It would be hard to overemphasize how much Sinner's return dominated Demonor's serve. How much of a non-factor Alex Demonor's first serve was. 
Sinner made 96% of his first serve returns. You almost never see that in men's tennis. Dimonor made 53% of his first serves. That's pretty low. When he made it, he only won 46% of the points. So this was a match where Alex could have started every point with an underhand feed. And I'm not really exaggerating. There were points in the second set where the, there were a couple games where I looked at it and I'm like, okay, wow, uh, free point here, plus one there. Like the game that Demonor held in the second set, he actually got something out of his serve in that game. That is about it. So in order to win this match, and at the end of the day, it starts here. In order for Demonor to win this match, he would have had to win it without his serve against Yannick Sinner. Just win so much from neutral, win so many baseline rallies against Yannick Sinner that you're going to win the match. That seems pretty infeasible. I'll get into Demonor's baseline tactics, which were awesome in the first set. I really enjoyed watching him figure this out, and I really admire how successful he was in the first set with these things. But boy, you're going to win a match like that? I don't think so. You got to get something out of your serve. Something. And he got nothing. I love Sinner's return. I think it's a great return. He made some exceptional backhand returns in this match, especially uh, deep middle with pace. As I mentioned, Demon did keep the first set close. It was 4-5 on serve. He broke Sinner's serve a couple times in this first set. It was a competitive set. Because despite not having a serve, he was winning baseline rallies. Very consistently. Great tactical focus. Here's what he was doing. The first thing... Well, first, let me give you the overall objective. Because every tactic has an objective. The objective for Demonor was to remain unattackable. To extend rallies by putting Sinner in positions where Yannick wasn't going to be able to build his offense and finish points with his power. The thought, I think, for Demonor, and this played out, was that if he could just remain unattackable, then Sinner would be first to miss in the extended exchanges. Or that Sinner would get over-anxious. And to try to do too much when the opportunity wasn't necessarily presenting itself. So you really test the patience, test the shot selection, test the consistency of Yannick Sinner, and that was Demon's best bet. And he had the tactics to do it, and he had the speed to do it. The tactics uh, started with making Sinner hit as many backhands as possible. Demon was really avoiding the cross-court forehand like it was the plague. Tommy Paul probably would have been well-advised to do the same a little bit more than he did. But Demonor was not hitting any forehand trades cross-court. He did sometimes in the second set when he fell asleep. He usually paid the price for it. 
But usually it's like, I'm not just going to hit a neutral ball cross-court forehand. Because that is where Sinner is going to, you know, step to his right, set his feet in the outer outer thirds. And you've opened up the angles of the court for Yannick Sinner's extremely deadly forehand. And you're in trouble now. As soon as you open up the angle of the court and allow Sinner to get that first offensive punch in from that position, you're in trouble. So Demon Orr was going middle a ton. Very committed to playing balls up the middle, even on his backhand. Uh, but if he wasn't going middle, he was going down the line with his forehand uh, to make Sinner's hit, center hit backhands. Because uh, Sinner's backhand, and I'll give you the average speed at the end of this segment, it's not as big as, as his forehand. He's not going to blow you off the court with his backhand. So that's step one to kind of extending. Don't open up the angle and make him hit backhands. You're also keeping the ball deep, which Demonor did a really excellent job of. So depth is obviously important. You're also taking off pace. Even though Sinner is pretty excellent at generating his own pace, you still, if you're Demonor, you still don't want to give him unnecessary pace to work with. And you want to be in great defensive position, balanced, recovered in the middle when Sinner strikes the ball. And taking pace also helps you accomplish that. And something that comes very naturally for Demonor, keep it low. He's naturally a flat hitter, but when you kind of take away the net clearance and you keep the ball low with your flat trajectory, that is another great way to remain unattackable. Watch these baseline rallies in the first set. Not only is Sinner hitting a lot of backhands, but you see Demonor taking away angle, taking off pace, keeping it low, and keeping it deep. And you have a Yannick Sinner who desperately wants a ball to crush. He desperately wants to find that, that attacking ball, that opportunity to hit the build, to find the finish. And he's just not finding that opportunity because of just how present, tactically present, Alex Demonor was in these baseline rallies. It was really, really impressive. The IQ that it takes to hang in these rallies when you are completely outmatched in the power department is commendable. How outmatched in the power department? Let me give you the average speeds. Forehand average speed. Sinner, 79 miles per hour. Demonor, 68. 11 miles per hour advantage for Sinner. Backhand average speed. 75 miles per hour for Sinner. So, 4 miles per hour slower on the backhand than it is the forehand. Hence my point. Also a little bit less precise. But 75 versus 63 miles per hour for Demonor. So he was really taking pace off the backhand. That's an even bigger advantage for, for Sinner. That's a 12 mile per hour speed advantage for Sinner off the ground. And still, Demonor in the first set was winning baseline rallies, was winning the extended exchanges. That is impressive, as I said. But as soon as Demonor in the second set tried to get aggressive, and I don't know if this was a tactical decision, I just lost the first set. Let me change something up. 
or if it was fatigue. I'm tired of grinding. I'm tired of trying to execute this very, very taxing mentally and physical and physically game plan. I don't know which one it was, but as soon as Demon started, you know, tried to up the ante and get aggressive off the ground, he he started missing. He started making errors. And that eliminated his only advantage. So that wasn't great for Demonor. He just, he did not, I cannot put together a very good highlight reel of quality attacking ground strokes from Demonor. Wasn't great. Now do note that the way I think Demonor offensively usually remedies his lack of power is by getting to net. That is usually how he produces offense in spite of his ground strokes not being very fast. It's hard to do that against a player like Sinner. Sinner's power and, and, and his aggression, it just doesn't let Demonor, doesn't uh, afford Demonor the same kind of opportunities to get to net that like uh, a Medvedev would. Because Demon is pushed back by the power and Sinner is not giving him as much neutral, not giving him as much neutrality and therefore Demonor is spending much more, uh, a much larger percentage uh, defending. So he's he's struggling to, to get forward basically. Uh, versus against Medvedev, he kind of could live at the net and that's how he could produce his offense and that gave him a path to winning points on his own terms. Against Sinner in this match, there were there were no paths to winning points on his own terms. Couple of good backhands down the line. Couple of them. That was it. I do think that Sinner also uh did find an improvement with uh with his forehand. I don't know if I found the best screenshot here to show you guys on YouTube, but Sinner started to open up his own angles a little bit better. You know, Demonora did not want to introduce any angle unless he had a, a real opportunity to attack. And then he would hit close to the sidelines. But he really wanted that down-the-middle ball striking to extend those rallies, and it was effective. Uh, but what Sinner started to do was instead of, uh, especially on his forehand, instead of allowing Demonora to play those kind of linear, no-angle rallies, Yannick started rolling his forehand a little bit better and playing, I think, closer to the sideline on his cross-court forehand. And that put Demonor in a much tougher spot because when Demon is stretched out in his forehand corner, and remember, he doesn't want to go cross-court into Sinner's forehand. He wants to go middle or down the line. But when you are... When you're stretched out towards the doubles alley, you're trying to buy yourself some time to get back into the court. And in order to buy yourself time to get back into the court, you usually want to go cross court. Cross court gives you that time. The ball is in flight for a longer period of time. And you you get those milliseconds that you need to, to recover your court position. But look at Demon here. 
Doesn't want to go cross court, but he kind of goes cross middle. Um, and if he went down the line, he would have been in even bigger trouble here because he's not able to recover and it would open up the cross court. So he challenges Sinner's forehand to make the redirection, but the recovery is is just not even close because Demonor went hard, kind of, not that hard, but he, he went through the middle here. And Sinner makes the redirect and, and forces the error. Again, I mean, it wasn't really the best example, but I think the the main point is that Sinner started to introduce some angle on his cross-court forehand, put Demonor in a really tough position, and he, he I think, recognized, okay, we need to open up the court a little bit and get Demonor off the center line because he's so quick, he's such a good defender, that as long as these rallies are being played through the middle, there's really no way for, for me to beat him with my power. I'm going to have to take some pace off myself, roll it cross a little bit, and and now, now we can make Demonor uncomfortable, move him off the center line, and find the open court where I can use my power to hit into. So, that is all I got on this match. Another first-time Masters 1000 champion on the tour. I know that I talked about it in the Cincinnati preview a little bit, and I just want to end with a quick follow-up on that thread uh, because Mark Petchy on the Tennis Channel broadcast gave a great stat. And it was also in the notes. Um, 10 Masters 1000 champions, first time since 2021. 10 first-time Masters 1000 champions. I can read them off for you. Nori, Titipas, Hercoc, Runa, Chorich, Karenia Busta, Alcaraz, Fritz, Andre Rublev, and now Yannick Sinner. So that's 10 in a three-year period, and we still have Paris and Shanghai. 10 in three years. In the 10-year period from 2011 to 2020, 13 first-time Masters 1000 champion. So think about how... Our number in, in this decade is already approaching that number for the previous decade. I mean, the the, 2010, uh, the 2020s are going to blow right by the 2010s when it comes to first-time Masters 1000 champions because nobody is actually hoarding these big titles anymore like the big three were. That's been interesting to see. But none more deserving, none more deserving than Yannick Sinner. Congratulations to him on his first Masters 1000 title. He's champion in Toronto. And now we are on to Cincinnati. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.